0: Hey, this is Jim Reynolds coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina with Big Faith Ministries and Operation Timothy. And today we're going to continue what we started with our last episode of Where Did the Bible Come From? And again, uh, just as, as a reminder, I'm not trying to prove that the Bible is authentic or that it's the authentic Word of God. I'm not trying to prove the existence of God. That's an issue of faith. And, uh, and it just simply is. Some people say, well, I can't believe in God because I can't see him, I can't touch him, I can't feel him. I need hard, cold science, facts, and, um, and therefore I can't believe in something that requires faith. Well, that's your prerogative, and that's your right. But the only way to truly, to truly believe in God the Father and that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God and that he died on a cross and, and rose again three days later. The only, the only way to, to really even believe that is requires, requires faith, plain and simple. The Bible even says that. And we'll, we'll get into that in a few weeks. But um, again, I'm not here to prove anything to you. I'm just here to uh, read some scripture, go through some things, hopefully challenge you, deepen your faith uh, if you're a new believer uh, then take notes and, uh, study the scriptures, study what the word of God says and grow and learn. I just, just my, my desire for this is, is for it to be a blessing to you and, and to strengthen your walk with, with God. So where did the Bible come from? Well, we addressed that partially last week or or last episode. I shouldn't say last week, but last episode, um, we kind of talked about, uh, where the old testament came from we're going to get a little bit uh, deeper into the new testament but but where did the bible come from most christians really don't know where the bible came from or even have an understanding of the history of the bible and to be honest with you i find that to be pretty sad we've got to know where the bible came from so that we can correctly explain and defend what we believe and why so here we go. We're going to dive right into it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching how to live. And that's 2 Timothy 3.16. And 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So in these two Bible verses, we see that scripture clearly indicates is inspired by God. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for showing people what is wrong in their lives. For correcting faults, for teaching how to live right. Right there, there it is in black and white. All scripture is inspired by God. And, and is used to help us to live as Christ followers. All scripture is inspired by God. But if it's inspired by God, then how did we get the written word? Second Peter 1.21 answers that. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're talking about the Bible. 66 books written by about 40 different authors from all walks of life. A doctor, a persecutor of Christians who would be Paul, a tax collector, a king, meaning David. Uh, Many, many different people authored the various books of the Bible over a period of about 1,500 years. The Bible, for the Christ follower, is the final authority it has to be but how did and we'll talk about that later but how did the bible become the bible by the time of jesus and the and the disciples the old testament was already considered the accepted accurate word of god in the hebrew jewish community from the time of the early church The Old Testament was regarded as complete and was considered final as scripture. So even at the time of Christ, the Old Testament was already considered the word of God. Uh, A famous uh, Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus, said this about the Old Testament. And how firmly we have given credit to those books of our own nation is evident by what we do. For during so many ages as have already passed, no one has been so bold as either to add anything to them or to take anything from them or to make any change in them. But it becomes natural to all Jews immediately and from their very birth to esteem those books to contain divine doctrine and to persist in them, and if occasion be, willing to die for them. For it is no new thing for our captives, many of them in numbers and frequently in time, to be seen to endure racks and deaths of all kinds upon the theaters, that they may not be obliged to say one word against our lives and the records that contain them. So even Flavius Josephus, who was an amazing uh, Jewish historian and and had an incredible life, uh, and I encourage you to actually read up on Flavius Josephus um, and, and his life. It's it's just amazing. Uh, but he was a first century Jewish scholar. Uh, history says that he was born in 37 A.D. and died approximately 100 A.D. and and even he affirms the authenticity of the old testament in saying that they're validated by the jewish community of his time but there's biblical evidence also that the old testament was clearly understood to be complete and the word of god john 5:39 uh, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And then in Luke twenty four forty four, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And that scripture right there, Luke 24, 44 is actually an extremely important Uh, Bible verse. And and I'm going to explain why in just a second. But I want to reread it for you. Luke 24, 44. Then he said, meaning Jesus, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now notice what Jesus did there. He's actually declaring the threefold division of the Old Testament. Now, let me explain what threefold division of the Old Testament means. Most biblical scholars and theologians agree that the Old Testament is is basically divided up into into three realms. Uh, The Law of Moses, which is the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Law of Moses. Then the books of the prophets, and then the rest of the writings. Those are the three divisions of the Old Testament. The law of Moses, the books of prophecy, and then the rest of the books called the writings. Jesus in Luke 24, 44 is affirming the threefold division of the Old Testament in his time. In doing so, he's legitimizing the Old Testament. He's drawing attention to it. He's acknowledging it. And he's acknowledging the threefold division in this, in this very in this very sentence that he's saying. When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. That is incredible. That there, Jesus is declaring not just the threefold division of the Old Testament and and, and affirming it, but he's actually doing something else. He's actually affirming that he is indeed God because he was there when it was written, he was there when the worlds were created but moving on to 2 Peter 3:15 through 16 and remember our lord's patience gives people time to be saved this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture, and this will result in their destruction. Amazingly enough, right here, Peter is acknowledging Paul's writings. So, so think about the, the logic of what's happening here. Peter, one, is acknowledging Paul's writings as scripture, and he's giving authority to Paul's letters that were being distributed from church to church. Keep in mind that, that the, the books that we now read in the New Testament were distributed literally by hand back then as letters from Paul, letters from Timothy, letters from Peter. They are distributed amongst the churches, actual letters. But here Peter is affirming and acknowledging the authority of Paul's letters. And he's acknowledging them as scripture. Paul wrote to Timothy, he quoted from Luke. In 1 Timothy 5.18, he says, For the scripture says, You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Paul is first quoting Deuteronomy, and then is quoting Jesus from Luke 10.7. So again, he's referencing scripture. He's referencing letters and giving them authority as scripture. Colossians 4, 16 says, after you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. So Paul, writing in Colossians, says, after you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too, and you should read the letter I wrote to them. 1 Thessalonians five twenty seven. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. These scriptures clearly demonstrate that the writings were being circulated amongst the early church. So then that leads us naturally to talk about what we and we briefly talked about it in our prior episode, but we're going to talk about it here. And that is biblical canon. Canon of Scripture. Uh, the term canon of scripture is a list of books considered to be authoritative scripture by a particular religious community. The word canon comes from the Greek word meaning rule or measuring stick. The concept that we have today of a completed Bible was formulated early in the history of the church. By the end of the second century, all but seven books, uh, Hebrew, 2nd and 3rd John, 2nd Peter, Jude, James, and Revelation, all, all of the books of the New Testament, except for those were recognized as apostolic. But by the end of the fourth century, all 27 books, in what we consider the New Testament now, were recognized by all the churches of the West. After the uh, Damascene Council of Rome in AD 332 and the Third Council of Carthage in AD 397, the question of the canon was closed in, in what is now our Western culture. By the year 500, the entire Greek-speaking church had also accepted all the books in our present New Testament. One thing must be emphatically stated. The New Testament books did not become authoritative for the Church because they were formally included in a canonical list. On the contrary, the Church included them in her canon because she already regarded them as divinely inspired, recognizing their innate worth and generally apostolic authority, direct or indirect. The first ecclesiastical councils to classify the canonical books were both held in North Africa at Hippo Regis in 393 and at Carthage in 397. But what these councils did was not to impose something new upon the Christian communities, but to codify what was already the general practice of these communities. And that's a quote from F.F. Bruce in the New Testament documents, Are They Reliable? book. The books that were admitted to the canon were inspired by the Holy Spirit. However, there were several false books and letters also circulating about. So how, how did people judge between true and false? How did people judge between this is authentic scripture, uh, but this this may be historical and factual, but it's not necessarily authoritative? We don't know the specific criteria, but we have some idea of possible criteria. And again, we we addressed a little bit of this in our prior podcast. One thing people did was look at who authored the letters or the book. Who authored it? The author had to be a prophet or an apostle or one who had a special relationship to an apostle. Only those who had witnessed the events or recorded eyewitness events would be considered a scripture. Two, there was a witness of the Holy Spirit. God's people learned to separate the wheat from the chaff or, or the fact from the fiction. God's people also understood that there was a witness to the New Testament writings agreeing with one another. And I'm going to stop right there just to remind you all that all 66 books of the Bible, none of them contradict one another, but they all agree on the same thing. The other criteria for uh, what might be canonical was acceptance. Jesus himself said in John fourteen twenty six, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. These same disciples that wrote the New Testament books or had input into which works were accepted as Scripture realized that they were being guided by the Holy Spirit. Any book that claimed canonical status yet diverted from the truth of the life of Jesus Christ, would have been rejected by Jesus' own disciples, who were eyewitnesses to the New Testament events. Thus, the acceptance of God's people is an important criterion for book to be considered canonical. And then there had to be a consistency amongst the letters and the books. Was there consistency of doctrine? was there a consistency of orthodox teaching. The Council of Hippo in AD 393 and the Council of Carthage in AD 397 also affirmed the New Testament books as canon. But all they did was acknowledge what was already accepted by the early church. I want to leave you with some scriptures, if I could. Um, we need God's written word Uh, The Greek for written word is logos. We need God's written word. Romans 15.4 says this, Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promise to be fulfilled. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Consider 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when he received his message from us, you didn't think of of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Or how about this from Psalm nineteen seven through 11. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. I want to encourage you to stay in the scriptures, stay searching, stay hungry. The more you study God's word and the more you apply yourself and and be involved in a good local church where you're hearing the word of God, God is going to cause his word to come alive in your hearts and in your spirits. God bless you. Thank you for your time and have a fantastic day.